Uh, if we've not met before, just to let you know, my name is Sean. I'm not the Word. When he said, here from the Word, I just thought, oh, no, that's Jesus. But thankfully, he qualified it. He's good. He's on his toes. Uh, very quickly, just to say, do you remember I talked about the Be Ready account uh, in December? Just to let you know, British Gas dropped another £67 uh, into my account. We transferred it to our Be Ready account. And yesterday, uh, Liz and I just decided who we're going to give that money to till tomorrow. Uh, let's not forget we're moving into a cost of living crisis. Not everyone in our church family uh, is going to be able to weather it as well as others. Liz and I, uh, and I'm hoping many of us now, are making provision just to keep making sure money flows within the church. Not just to the church centrally for our bills, but also personally taking responsibility to meet each other's needs. The reason I flick that up is to say I'm not asking you to do stuff I'm not doing. So Liz and I, and I know many of you are doing it anyway, just being accountable to you. Uh, they keep giving me 67 pounds, and I don't need it. I generally see it as additional money. Uh, thankfully, I don't need, to, to need that to pay for my gas bills. So we're giving it away to others in our church family. So this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series in the book of Titus. So if you start flicking there now, it's after Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, or use the contents at the beginning of your Bible, or just jump on a Bible app and you don't need to know where it's located in the order of the books of the Bible. Now this is a, uh, obviously a new year, it's been mentioned a few times this morning, but it's not just a new year, there are many new people in our church family now. And we recognize that many of the new people haven't yet done our membership course. So as we sat down uh, last year now thinking about how we're going to help these many new people that have joined us, not just from last summer, but since lockdown, haven't yet done a membership course, the book of Titus is a really helpful way of seeing some of the values that have shaped this church family and we're preaching that through week by week. We're still running a membership course this term. We'd love you to be on that. But we're going to spend the next nine weeks going through the book of Titus and just underlining some of the values that we hold as a church. One of the things we hold is making sure that we read and wrestle with God's word. So that's why we're taking nine weeks to get through this short book. We want to do a deep dive into Titus. And very quickly, if you're unfamiliar with a book, as I guess many of us are likely to be, you could sum it up in two words, really. Faith in God and practice that results from that. Or you can think about Titus is good. So it's very strong on theology and good works. Or you could sum it up by saying it's about belief, what we believe, and behavior, what we do because of that belief. So if you keep those things in mind, that as we read God's word, what is our practice? As we think about the theology of God, what are the good works that come out of that? As we look at what we believe as a church family, we then to think about how we behave as a church family. Let me pray. Let me, I feel really full of faith of what God is going to do in your hearts as the Bible is explained to you. But we all need the Holy Spirit's help, not just for me to finish my words, but for you to pay attention now, not to zoom out, and to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. So Holy Spirit, come, illuminate these words to all of us. Help me to finish my sentences, to be coherent. But would you continue to fill all the gaps 
and stir all the hearts. We pray for those who are online, even now, wherever they are in the world. I speak a blessing over you now, those online, in the name of Jesus. We pray for those who are going to be watching this in uh, weeks, months, time. I bless you now by faith in Jesus' name. That the book of Titus would come alive to you. Even just a few things I say this morning. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Titus uh, most likely was written in AD 63. I'll give a little bit of background. Uh, for those geographers, just to give it a bit of context, we're looking at the island of Crete in AD 63. So this is the eastern Mediterranean. And they're going to hear some characters this morning. We're going to hear of a man called Paul. Now, Paul was the Apostle Paul. Formerly, he was called Saul of Tarsus. He became a prominent figure in declaring the good news about Jesus Christ, establishing church families. He started off as a zealous Jewish religious leader, and he was known then initially as fiercely opposing the teachings of Jesus, and that all changed dramatically on our road to Damascus. Another story, but he had a previous life, and it wasn't good. And from this fire-breathing anti-Christ, anti-church man, he became someone who wrote half the books of the New Testament that we call 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament have been attributed to the Apostle Paul. So we're reading one of his letters this morning. We're also going to be introduced to someone called Titus. Now Titus, he was a Greek. He was one of Paul's converts. Uh, He would have been known as a true spiritual son of Paul. He was, without a doubt, a trusted co-worker and what we're going to call an apostolic delegate. He would represent Paul in different places. He was available to go on Paul's behalf and do Paul's work that he would have him do. And we first hear of Titus. uh, In fact, Titus isn't even talked about in the book of Acts We first hear of him when he's associated with the church with Antioch. Do you remember when I talked about Antioch last term? So Antioch was a place where initially uh, believers only preached to uh, Jews. And so the first church in Antioch just had Jewish believers there. The men from Cyprus came over. They started proclaiming to Gentiles. And then suddenly a church was established with Jews and Gentiles Some men from Jerusalem came up and started saying that these Gentiles, these Greek believers, needed not just to believe in Christ, to get baptized, but also to be circumcised. And there was a huge controversy around this. So Barnabas and Paul, and it seems Titus, went from Antioch in the north, they went south down to Jerusalem, and they had that big council of Jerusalem, Acts 15, and in Jerusalem they established that actually believing in Christ is enough. You no longer have to take on Jewish background rituals, such as circumcision. Belief in Christ was enough. And we see in Galatians 2, during the Council of Jerusalem, that Titus was observing, Titus didn't feel that he needed to be circumcised. That's the first we hear of Titus. Titus then gets used again by Paul in Corinth. 
Corinth was a, a choppy church, very zealous in spiritual gifts, but they got into difficulties and a whole number of things. We see that outlined in the book of 1 Corinthians. But then there's trouble there. Paul writes them a letter. The letter isn't brilliantly received. Titus is then sent with what we call uh, the letter between Corinthians 1 and 2, this severe letter that's been lost to history. It seems as if Titus took this severe letter back to the church. There's another kerfuffle around it all, but it ended well. Titus took a response back to Paul, and then Paul then writes 2 Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians, Titus is referenced nine times. So now we have Titus. He's seen what's gone on in Antioch. He's gone down to Jerusalem. He's gone to Corinth. He's been involved in a severe letter, and he's carried back a good report to Paul. He then carries 2 Corinthians, and it's commended by Paul. And now we find Titus. It seems as if him and Paul, this isn't in the book of Acts, have landed on Crete, established numbers of churches, but Paul had to leave before it was all finished. And he leaves Titus on Crete to establish elders in the churches and to straighten out that which has not been finished. And lastly, so we looked at Paul, who's the sender of the letter, Titus, who's the recipient, Crete. This island, it's a huge, what we would call Greek island. It's a large mountainous island had about 20 or so towns on it in the day of, you know, the New Testament. And it was known for the men and women of that town for their violence, their corruption, and their sexual immorality. If you are raising mercenaries, you try and have some Cretans amongst them because they were notorious. Hence, there was a saying of the day that Cretans were always liars. They were evil beasts and lazy gluttons. If you met a Cretan, you could never really be sure if they were telling the truth. They were like evil beasts. They were hell-bent on destructions. They were not domesticated. And if they weren't kind of hell-bent on destruction, they were lounging around and consuming stuff. That's, that's what Cretans were like. That was their reputation. But Paul thought because of its location, because of its many harbours, Paul thought strategically, if we plant numbers or a network of healthy churches on Crete, despite the problems of its reputation, that's going to be huge for gospel advance. Now remember, there's massive trade from North Africa right round up to Rome. So that whole side of the eastern Mediterranean was a trade route. And so people are constantly moving around. So strategically, it makes sense for, for Crete to have healthy churches established on them. And that's why Titus was left there. And that's why the letter we're studying is helpful for us. Because Titus has got a tough job. Because these churches are being ruined by Cretan leaders. These Cretan leaders who are... Uh, their reputation for lying and for looking to look after themselves with greed. There was false teaching in those churches. And Titus was called to sort them out. Is that all good? Good summary? All with us? So we're going to look at uh, Titus 1, verses 1 through to 4. Titus 1, 1 through to 4. Here we go. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge 
of the truth which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, unlike the Cretans, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I'm going to stop there, but we're going to get to the end of verse 9 this morning. And just to let you know, if you're unfamiliar with these kind of New Testament letters, they typically start with who the sender is, who the recipient then is, and then a blessing. So if you flick around the letters this afternoon, you'll see that pattern often there. The the sender, the recipient, and then a blessing. And so Paul is saying, let's just look at this. As he writes into this context, he is saying he is a slave of God. The Apostle Paul. Now that is a title of great humility. Paul was saying, I have been bought, I am owned, and I am directed by God. That's uncomfortable language for us today, but that's how Paul introduces himself in the letter. He also says he's an apostle of the Christ. Now that is a title of great authority. So he is saying, I am both a slave of God, but I am also an apostle of Christ. I have authority. Listen to me. Take me seriously. And Paul is saying these things, writing this later, it is this letter, it is for the sake of the elect. The elect is the church, the, the, the gathering of Christ followers, the family of God. And he's, he's writing this letter for the sake of their faith in God. Your, your, their faith in God is important and their knowledge of truth. They're in a land of liars. So actually, the knowledge of the truth is important. So that's who Paul is, and the recipient of this letter is Titus, his true spiritual son. He said, Titus, you're my spiritual son. You've seen me operate in Antioch. Most likely, that's where he's saved. You've seen me, how I've worked in Jerusalem, how I've dealt with the church in Corinth, how we work together in Crete. You're my true spiritual son. And he speaks a blessing over Titus and presumably all those who then read the letter of grace and peace. God's unearned, unmerited, unending favor upon them. And peace, the shalom, the well-being of God, the wellness that comes through being in right relationship with God, washed clean of sin, no stain or blemish on our souls. The shalom of God, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus the Savior. That's a cracking greeting for a letter, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if email started with that level of encouragement then? Sean, uh, I just want to say you did really well on Sunday, but, you know, those kind of contrasts between how people send emails today and how Paul starts, very, very different. Just saying. <laughs> Verse 5. Verse 5, he carries on. So he's introduced himself, the recipient, and a blessing. He says in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. 
so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so Titus' task, we think there was about 20 or so towns. We don't know if every town had a local church that he hadn't yet established elders in. We don't know. But certainly this aspiration that on the island of Crete there would be a network of churches that are well-governed, that are cared for, that are regulated, that the church life is consolidated into the apostles' teaching. And that is done through the appointment of gifted and conscientious pastoral care of these flocks of God. See, by appointing elders, churches can be taught and cared for to make sure they're on track, but also false teachers that are ruining the churches could be confronted. Men who are just working around the network of churches for personal gain, willing to lie for their own good, ruining local churches going against the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel that Paul contended for in Antioch and contested with Peter in Jerusalem, such that, for example, Gentiles don't need to get circumcised. This gospel is to be contended with by elders of local churches. And just note very quickly, I'm not going to hang around on this for too long, the term elder and overseer are the same office, just different aspects of that. An elder is someone who has got wisdom, has got some standing in a community, thought of as mature. It's not like, let the, let's raise up youngers. He's saying, let's raise up elders, appoint those. Those who have got oversight, those a sense of stewarding, able to steward in God's household. It's not theirs, they're stewards. They bring oversight of somebody else's, Christ's church. And these elders are plural. Elders, plural, are appointed. Not a single person, not a lone range leader. When we established uh, Reading, I planted the church, but I had to wait uh, several years for another elder to be raised up. Then eventually, a third elder, which was Scott, he was raised up. Churches need a plurality of leadership in terms of governing what the church believes. How do you refute uh, false teaching? That's through uh, our plural leaders. And in all of that, the whole church needs to be involved. They need to be above reproach. They need to have a good reputation. And that reputation is from the church. So the church has to be involved. You cannot just appoint someone externally and not have the candidate's reputation checked and approved by a local congregation. And we did that last term, didn't we? With uh, Clayton and Blessing. So elders are plural. The whole church is involved. And elders must have a blameless reputation as a, uh, in terms of three areas of their lives. The first of which, marriage and family life. You see, the home isn't just a place where you sleep and eat and for us watch telly. The home is a training ground to give oversight to God's people. Verse 6 says this. An elder should be the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Paul says and reminds Titus, an elder is to be the husband of one wife, not polygamous, 
or have a sullied reputation around marriage and sex. There should be no hint of sexual immorality or a ickiness about them when it comes to you know, relationships of male and female around sex. They shouldn't be like dirty jokes that they laugh at. You know, they, they should have be blemishness in that. And if an elder has children, they aren't to be wild and disobedient. If fathers can't manage their own home and their children, how can they manage God's household? Seems to be the thinking. So elders need to be able to manage their own home well, but also they need to be able to lead himself. Verse 7 and 8. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent. Remember, this is Crete. All greedy, greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So Paul lists five things that if an elder's present, if an elder's character is absent of these things, it is going to damage church life. So if you look at some, an elder and they're full of pride, you can just smell it about them, or they, they seem quick-tempered, or they abuse alcohol, or you can just tell about them there's a pursuit of power or the pursuit of money about them. Paul is saying, that, listen, they're not, they cannot serve as elders in local churches. All five of those need to be mastered. You, you can't escape them. I'm living with pride. I've got a quick temper. You may not have seen that. This sees it in my eyes sometimes. But I've mastered my quick temper with self-control over years. That's why alcohol with me as a young man used to fight a lot because alcohol reduced my self-control, which then meant I'm just going to fight because that is my propensity, my natural thing. So I've got to remove alcohol, saying too much now, I might have to dub that out. But that was my old way of life. Quick temper and alcohol reduced self-control and then I would just fight. And given I've got such a small frame, I needed lots of very big friends, which God willing I had in Portsmouth, in Jesus' name. But all that is gone as part of my old way of life. The Holy Spirit has changed that in me now. All five need to be mastered. Elders need to show humility. They need to be slow to get angry. They need to exercise abstinence or self-control. They need to be servant-hearted and pursue generosity. But Paul does list six character, positive character traits. He said, rather, they must enjoy having guests in his home. Love what is good. Live wisely. And be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. In all these things, he is to be blameless. So an elder needs to lead in his home. He needs to lead himself. And he also needs to be, thirdly, doctrinally orthodox. Orthodox generally, basically means what is ever generally accepted as a religious belief. He must hold on to that. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, and also, 
to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, Paul insists an elder's got to be qualified to lead in his home, to be able to lead himself, and to be able to grasp the truth that has been passed on to him, first by Paul, and now by Titus, his delegate. And he must have a strong belief in this trustworthy message he has been taught. And he has to pass on reliably the apostles' teaching that has been laid in the foundation of these young churches in Crete. They're to hold fast to it. To refute the false teaching that are ruining the churches of the day. And he was to encourage believers with wholesome teaching in all of that. So that's what's going on in Crete in AD 63. But as we all know, we are in Reading in AD 2023. 2,000 years has passed between what was happening in Crete and now what is happening here in Reading. So I've got three quick things to say in terms of what does this passage teach to us? The first of which I'm hoping everyone will agree with that in this church, in fact for all churches, the Bible is to be our plumb line. You see, a plumb line is a standard against which other things are measured. And importantly, we don't create that standard. You see, a plumb line is established by a greater force, that of gravity. Gravity declares what is plumb and what is not. If you build something and it's not square, doors look squiffy, they're not as strong, it doesn't look right. Uh, you, know, you just need to build things square, and we use a plumb line to do that. Here's the point I want to make. We don't get to make up the criteria by which things are measured. The job of the wise builder is to base his or her project upon the immovable standard of the plumb line. That's their job. They don't get to decide what the standard is. The plumb line of the Christ follower and the life of this church is the Bible. See, in the Bible, Bob, God both declares his love for his people and his vision for human life and its flourishing. That, that, that's the plumb line of how we figure that out here in this church. And like a plumb line, the record of God's word is to be a constant reference to us as we build our lives, as we build this church, as we go on mission. And all of us, myself included, obviously, need to keep checking that our individual lives, and if we're in a family, in our family lives, and in our church community life, we need to keep checking the things that we're doing are in agreement with what God has laid out in his word. And so the truth of the matter is we read the Bible in faith, but we are influenced by the church tradition that God has put us in, which in our case is New Frontiers. Now, quick church history lesson, I guess, for, for about a thousand years from when Jesus walked the earth till about AD 1050, for a thousand years there was just one church. And then around... AD 1050, there was this big break in the church. 
and there was the Eastern Orthodox Church, and then the Roman Catholic Church. So you had about a thousand years of unity, and had a massive disagreement largely around the central figure of what we might recall the Pope in Rome, and the Eastern Orthodox Church said, we're having no more of this, and there was this great break. Then there was another 500 years, so the Eastern Orthodox Church continued and continues to do so. And then about 500 years later, in about 1500 AD, uh, what we call the Catholic Church or the Church of Rome, they had another massive split, which we call the Protestant Reformation. And there was another split between the Roman Catholics and now the Protestants. Are you all still with me on this? Is this making sense? And now we've had about four or 500 years of ever more fragmentation in the Protestant tradition. And then we drop out somewhere what we would call, well, we're, we're Protestants, we're Charismatics, we're from the health church movements, and if you want to put a label on us, we're New Frontiers. And that actually means something to some people, but if you're in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it means nothing. So you just need to understand, in terms of this church family path is broad and wide, but it does mean that we as a church read the Bible through a context, and you pick all this up on the membership course, but this is why it's important that you understand how we read with great faith that which has been passed on to us. So for us, we are part of New Frontiers and Catalyst. Now why I want to pour this out is that through all of this, we see it in this passage, and this is how it works in the kingdom of God. There's a flow of faith from the center out. There's a flow of the knowledge of the truth from the center out. So just let me reiterate this. In terms of what we see in the center, we have a flowing out from God the Father and God the Son of both faith and a flow out from God the Father and God the Son from the, uh, through the flow of knowledge of the truth out to the apostles and their delegates. And there's this flow of faith and the knowledge of truth out from the apostle Paul and the delegate Titus to the local elders, in this case, in Crete. And then we have a flowing out of faith and the knowledge of the truth from local elders to their congregations through their preaching. And there must be a flowing out from local congregations to those not yet believing of faith and knowledge of the truth. Can you see that? I'm hoping you can see it starts in the center with God the Father and Christ his Son. And it goes out, it flows out, both faith and knowledge of the truth. Now for us here in Reading, how does that work in 2023? Well, the flow of faith and knowledge of the truth are also like concentric circles flowing out from God the Father and God the Son at the center to apostles like Terry Virgo and David Devonish. Terry Virgo was with us last term. Last week, I spent two days with Terry Virgo and other pastors listening to Terry teaching his comments on all that's going on. And Dave Devonish, I spoke to Dave Devonish two weeks ago about a church in Russia that we're working together on. And Dave is back with us again in May this year as apostles to us and their delegates like Matt Partridge. He was with us twice last term. Matt was used to appoint elders for us. So the apostles and their delegates, the flow of faith and knowledge of the truth comes from this to the local elders of this church, of which we have nine, and from the local elders to the congregation, that's you through preaching and also you online, and then flowing out from us, please, from us, the local congregation, the knowledge of faith 
and knowledge of the truth to those not yet believing. So it really matters that we're meaningfully part of New Frontiers and Catalyst. That we nine elders don't get to make up what we believe and what it fits like in this context. It matters that our elders hold firm to the trustworthy message as taught by the apostles and their delegates so we don't start asking people to circumcise as well as be baptised as a wrestling with an Antioch 2,000 odd years ago. Our elders instruct with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. That's what elders do. So in Reading today, the Bible is our plumb line. We're part of New Frontiers and Catalyst because of this flow of faith and knowledge of the truth. And also to say this, I'm aware I've spoken, the Bible letter talks initially a lot about leadership. This is for everyone and not just elders. Only a few in this church can serve as elders, but surely everyone should aspire to meeting, if not exceeding, these eldership qualifications. My prayer this past week and again this morning as I was trying to think of all of you is that every woman, every man in RFC would meet these qualifications that Titus is to look for in these local churches. Amen. Every woman, every man, every teenager, if not every child. That members of RFC would live blameless lives. that they are faithful to their spouse. Think about this as I read this over you. I want this for you. I'm praying this for you. That your children are believers. And, and your children don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. No one wants that for their kids. Not wild and rebellious in the things of God. My prayer this week has been that None of you are arrogant or quick-tempered. My hope and my prayer, although I suspect it, this is true, that there are heavy drinkers amongst us. I just pray that you're not a heavy drinker. It's okay to drink, but I pray that you're not a heavy drinker, that you're not violent, or you're dishonest with money or tax that you're above reproach in all areas of your finances. That you'll enjoy having guests in your home, if you're able to. You'll enjoy it, you love it. You love the mess they make, the mark on the carpet, the washing up again. Man, they only eat the chocolate biscuits and leave you the others. <laughs> Please eat the strawberry chocolates in my house, I'm sick of them. <laughs> Don't take the nut ones, I like those. I enjoy having guests in our home. I pray that everyone in our church would love what is good. You, you just, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is, you just love it. That's what you thrive on. I pray that everyone in our church would live wisely. That you're just. And you care about justice. That you live a devout and disciplined life. I, I want you to know the gift of self-discipline in your life. I pray you'd have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that you've been taught. That you're able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it 
where they're wrong with grace and kindness. So please, can you stand if you're able? Where you are now, you need to do this for yourself. If you're following Jesus, just say, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, help me to, you have the Bible as my plumber. Use your own words. Don't follow me. Just use your own words. Just pray now where you are that the Bible is the plumb line. Even the parts we find hard to understand or the parts we find hard to accept. Just pray. Help. Ask the Holy Spirit for that help right now. The plumb line of your life, the Bible. And pray now where you are that you pass on what you've received. That there will be a flow of faith out of you. Pray now that there will be a flow of the knowledge of the truth out of you into the world. Come on, let's pray it now. Can't hear much praying, my son. Don't worry about being self-conscious. If it's helpful to pray out loud, do that. Helpful to be quietly pray. Pray like that. Let's pray. Let's pray. We pass on what we've received. The flow of faith. This knowledge of the truth. Out into the world. From us, out into the world. And let's pray that everyone in our church family would be qualified. That everyone at RFC would be above reproach. I pray over you that all of you would have a good reputation amongst us. All of us would be qualified to be an elder of a local church. Against this qualification, that would be us. We'd live blameless lives here. They are faithful. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, be working amongst us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.